You may have previously listened to this podcast when it was called the PropTech Ramble, but we realized we were rambling about so much more than just PropTech. So we're back with a brand new series and a brand new name, The Measure Podcast by Metricus. Just like the last series, there'll be no bullshit, but there will be some rambling. I'm Michael Grant, COO and co-founder of Metricus, and I'll bring you a new guest every Wednesday for the next 10 weeks to get the measure of topics such as productivity in the workplace, building efficiencies, sustainable buildings, and ESG. No matter where you're listening, I hope you enjoy the new series and get some value from it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of the Measure podcast. Today, I am joined by Sam Wood from Cisco, and we are going to be covering our pillar topic of sustainability. So Sam is the head of business development for EMEA, the EMEA region, hybrid work, smart and sustainable environment. Sam, thank you very much for joining me, mate. Could you just do a bit of an intro to yourself? Because I'll do it very badly and you'll do it much better than I will. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. I'm delighted to be here today. So I lead our hybrid work and smart sustainable environments practice for EMEA. Uh, I've been working on essentially aligning our portfolio in a cross-architecture sense, so bringing together our networking side, our collaboration and video side, and our security side to deliver sort of very holistic solutions for hybrid work and sustainable real estate. It's a really exciting time with you know people coming back to work, different expectations around the workplace, and needing to focus on driving the path to net zero whilst also attracting and retaining talent and achieving, you know, a great workplace experience. So delighted to be here today and look forward to the discussion. Yeah, fantastic. And it is a very different space and it's changing very quickly, right? I mean, there's a lot of focus now, not only around the user experience, but sustainability and net zero, which we'll run through in the next 45 minutes. So there's three parts we'll cover today. So part one is leveraging technology to create smart and sustainable environments. Now, given what you've done previously in your role at Cisco, some of this I'm really looking forward to hearing because you have somewhat of a different lens being Cisco than some of the prop tech, we call them companies or smart building companies. Cisco's been, I've worked on and off with Cisco for 20 years. So you're, you have a different lens, but you are able to cover quite a large breadth of customer experience and workplace. So question one, how can organizations leverage smart or digital building technology to create a smart and sustainable working environment? So, I mean, I think the first point is the convergence story, right? And that's the convergence of IT, OT as in operational technology and IoT as in the sensors at the edge. And, you know, converging everything onto a, a sort of holistic network that acts as essentially the foundational rails on which all of those technologies run is really sort of stage one. And we're seeing, you know, great traction with converged networks. Historically, you know, converged networks were seen to be, oh, you know, it's a bit of a science project. You know, how do we get over kind of security hurdles, that kind of thing? I think there's a general consensus now that the only way to do smart is through integration and integration onto a, you know, holistic IP network. Historically, you know, there were all these sort of weird and wonderful proprietary protocols in the building industry that didn't really communicate 
with each other well. And now everything has converged onto internet protocol, you know, IP networks. We can now essentially drive automation uh, across the building to deliver a better experience, a more efficient operation, a better, you know, working environment, and, you know, critically get to the path to net zero faster. The foundation for smart buildings is a converged network. And without a converged network, it's really hard, right? You're having all these siloed networks. You know, how do you get a homogenous data set between them? You know, you've got different user interfaces. You know, having a converged network enables you to essentially glue everything together in a way that it can be interoperable, automated, secure, and drive a great experience. It's an interesting one because the more you do that, the, you know, you're lowering your energy cost because, as you say, you don't need AC plug sockets everywhere and run the cable and run more copper and everything else. But in the, we call it IoT slash smart building technology sphere, there are still, and we see this a lot, I was in with a new customer of ours last month. And one of the first things they said is, we'll do this first project with the partners that we're, we're talking to and recommending. But that's the, they said the second, third and fourth, and as we get beyond this, they have to be on a converged network. There has to be a minimal amount of infrastructure because in this space, it's still quite immature compared to the world of routing and switching and networking. And you see every hardware vendor has their own hub, has their own gateway, has their own software, and they're all trying to fight for that to get valuation up of their business. But that's not helping the customer. That's not helping the end customer reduce the amount of infrastructure. And when you're looking at sustainability, ESG, it's I've got four different sensor types and i've got four different gateways that require four different bits of power and one's a cellular model one plugged into the ethernet that needs internet so the converged network and the converged gateways and infrastructure i think is hugely important and i think that has to accelerate from where it is and i think with cisco coming into this space now that can only help i mean you've got partners like contact putting their ble piece on your wireless access points and containerizing it You've got Regado looking at that. You've got the convergence is hugely important. If that doesn't happen fast enough, I think there's a challenge to deliver on the sustainability part of this. You can still deliver on the experience side, but in the server room, you want one router, one switch, and then outside you want one wireless access point company. And if all of that's Cisco, that's great. And if it's all on a converged network, but if in the server room, you know, under the Cisco router and switch, you've got five different hubs and gateways also connected. You know, what we're really trying to do is not just drive convergence onto a IP network, but drive convergence at the edge as well. And what I mean by that is we're putting a lot of sensors into our existing enterprise footprint. We're putting sensors into our APs. We're putting sensors into our WebEx devices. We're putting, you know, every new video endpoint, whether it's a you know, desk pro, a desk individual device or a board pro, which is, you know, can be a smart whiteboard as well as a meeting room AV system. You know, they all now have these sensors in them. And likewise, the little navigator pads that sit on the desk, which are, you know, part of your room booking and, you know, enable integrations into, you know, great over the top applications like metrics, right? You know, we can drive that integration and convergence at the edge because we're putting a lot of those sensors into our existing enterprise footprint. Now we know that you know not every part of a customer's environment is going to want to have a you know high-end piece of AV kit in it or necessarily be covered by a Wi-Fi access point because hopefully you don't need 
thousands of those. You need only as many as you need. So the other important side of this is interoperability with third-party sensors and really driving those integrations. And, you know, that's where we see, you know, middleware platforms, which in Cisco's case are platforms like Cisco Spaces, which integrate fantastically to drive data integration out of the network and into platforms like Metricus to then, you know, deliver essentially a, you know, homogenous data set. So what we're doing is we're pulling in through a device marketplace, multitude of different sensors that, you know, aren't on Cisco's portfolio, but we need to integrate with them because we see that there, there is a use for them. But we're using spaces to kind of homogenize the data, create the integration, enable the automation, and then feed that intelligence up to third-party applications to drive intelligence and new use cases and new value over the top. It's about convergence of different things into the edge technologies that are existing, access points, you know, for the Wi-Fi, video devices, Meraki cameras from a CCTV perspective, and then bringing that back into software that then can also integrate with third-party systems that enables that convergence at the edge and drives those over-the-top use cases and automation, achieving, you know, sustainability goals. And we can come on to the specific use cases and how we drive, you know, sustainability outcomes and experiential outcomes with that strategy. It's a great roll into my next question. So thank you. How has the role of sustainability in Cisco and Cisco's customer world changed over the last five years? And what are some of the use cases and the smart outcomes you've seen or smart outcomes, probably the wrong word. What are some of the projects you've seen that have enabled this to happen? Even as recently as 2021, JLL put out a report which, you know, pulled out data from, you know, a whole raft of different enterprise customers saying that over 80% of organizations had sustainability as a key priority area, but, you know, under 20% of those had a plan, right? And now if you roll forward to, you know, May last year, I think Gartner put out a a piece of research that said that sustainability had moved from 13th to 8th in the top 10 list of CEOs strategic priority areas. So into the top 10 for the first time and moving up from 13th to 8th. So now sustainability is starting to be a kind of key part of an organization's plan. And there are a number of different drivers for this. Firstly, you know, it's doing the right thing and it's being able to report that you're doing the right thing in your annual report and, you know, deliver on uh, your sustainability targets, you know, increasingly adhere to regulation around, you know, moving to a more sustainable way of operating. But it's also around the talent piece because, you know, particularly the younger elements of the workforce, they want to work for companies that, you know, are doing the right thing from a sustainability perspective. Unless you can demonstrate that and show that, then your ability to attract and retain talent from the millennials and, you know, the generations that follow is disappearing. So from an attraction and retention of talent, it's really important. But also increasingly, we're starting to see regulators look at companies reporting from a sustainability perspective and actually saying, okay, prove it. Because just in the way as Sarbanes-Oxley, for example, governed the you know, financial data and forward-looking statements and the kind of data that was being put out there by companies to essentially market their performance to, to potential investors and, and the market more generally, you know, we're still now seeing, you know, that those same regulators looking at sustainability targets, because, you know, if you look at Goldman Sachs's, you know, basket of top ESG performers, right, they're all outperforming their competitors in the market. 
And it's being seen as a proxy now for, you know, good operational policy and strategy. And so that potentially incentivizes organizations to talk the talk, but not walk the walk. So we're increasingly now seeing not just, you know, it being put out there as a fluffy statement, but actually something that they're really serious about driving because they're going to get measured on it and regulation is going to follow. There's nothing like regulation to help people get in line and actually motivate them. So (laughs) if in doubt, put some regulation in. So part two, so accelerating the path to net zero while improving user experience. And I think we've touched on this already a little bit, but is it possible to implement a strategy in the hybrid workplace that accelerates the path to net zero and enhances user experience at the same time? So we've kind of covered it a little bit, but if we could get a little bit more specific about it, because I know you guys can do it, but it'd be good to to share your view from Cisco outwards and what you guys do in that space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you some specific examples. So going back to our Pen1 New York office, which is essentially our flagship for this strategy internally, and we're now deploying the same template in Atlanta, which is opening in literally the next few days. In Paris, we've got our new Paris office going POE, uh, and that will open in July. And then London will follow by the end of the year, and then Austin and Milan and various other places around the world. We're deploying this technology ourselves. And the reason why we're doing that is because, you know, we can achieve our sustainability goals more quickly and we can drive a great experience. And to give you an example, you know, we were having a great meeting with a large financial institution the other day. I was based here in in working from home in Austin. Some of our teams were based up in in New York uh, and, uh, and we had the head of HR, chief people in places officer, it was in fact the CTO of this organization too, up in Pen One with our teams up there. And they were doing a tour. And as they went out of the office, the meeting room they were in, the lights literally dimmed immediately because the system in the building, you know, that particular office is measuring 5,000 data points a second and can say, okay, this room is no longer occupied. It's booked, but it's no longer occupied. Uh, and, and that will then automate the lighting to turn down. You know, things like enabling shades, the blinds that, you know, can reduce the solar gain, as I mentioned already, to ensure that the HVAC isn't having to drive extra hard to keep that room cool when it's not occupied, right? And then the shades come up when you might want to have natural light and you know, that experience of, you know, feeling like you're in a more open space when, you know, people are in the room. And, you know, that kind of automation driven by the convergence where we started, you know, really does drive both energy savings, but also a great experience. And one of the things that we did at Pen1 was we actually integrated into the variable air valves in the HVAC system. Now, variable air valves sit in the vents in the ceiling in the floor plate of of an office, and we can then shut those off to reduce the consumption of HVAC when there's no one in the room, and we can increase it. And we not just increase it when people enter the room, we can increase it proportionate to the number of people that are in the room. So we're all giving off essentially the same amount of heat as a 350 watt light bulb, right, as individuals. So if there are 12 of us in that room versus two of us in that room, we need more heating or cooling depending on the prevailing temperature. And we need you know, more or less air to ensure that we're working productively, CO2 levels aren't building up, and we you know, don't feel restless and sleepy and wanna get up and grab a coffee and start getting disengaged. So there are lots of links between experience from an employee perspective 
and sustainability from an automation of IT, OT and IoT to you know, reduce energy consumption. I've not been to Penn, one pen yet, so I go to New York quite a bit. So I'm going to maybe pick you up after this and see if I can, if, if can organise a visit, Sam. Yeah, we've had over 700 customer visits in only 300 days since it's been open. Yeah, it's. I was talking to Michael Pasula at Accenture. He's been, and he's, you have to go. So I'll take you up after this podcast. I'll take you up on trying to get in there and have a look. So that's all the parts that you guys are doing and the parts that you're talking to customers about what are the parts that you see or which areas do you see when someone is looking at retrofitting and creating a better user experience and network and everything in the in the space what's the first bit to be neglected in a project hr and it and real estate have so many common objectives and by bringing those three stakeholders to the table with their separate budgets, you can actually save a ton of money and also drive a better outcome. You know, I won't mention the customer's name, but there's a customer that looks at a kind of room booking solution that also had a kind of AV element. And it was an organization we hadn't really heard of. And we were kind of surprised to see this particular brand showing up for this particular use case in this particular customer. And it turned out that their um, their workplace team, their HR sort of within HR, there's a sort of workplace team had kind of been wooed by this particular organization as having this kind of fancy technology solution, which actually wasn't interoperable with any of the kind of IT side and couldn't drive these kind of holistic experiences around integration. And, and you know, if they'd had a conversation, you know, if HR had not sort of said, oh, this is now our baby and had kind of shared their project requirements with IT a little bit closer, they wouldn't have then potentially gone down a very expensive path. And when you do these things, yes, you can create kind of integrations between siloed solutions, but it's incredibly expensive, you know, but it's miles easier if you can come with fewer integrations. Fewer integrations mean essentially less things can break. It's easy to manage. It's more secure. And, you know, we... I would say that, you know, starting from a lens of there are loads of different stakeholders here. And if you can bring it together and get everyone on the same page and look at the outcomes that you're trying to drive and then work back to the technology solution, you might end up with a a much better outcome, but also a different technology answer than if you work in silos. I think we lacked a bit of common sense before COVID and maybe we fast forwarded into the common sense world now is why we never brought HR workplace and it together before is beyond me but we were where we were but now they're all together that that already bringing three together three different budgets but everyone with the same outcome brings together and helps you implement a better strategy from day one rather than saying oh you bought that and i bought this and i didn't think about that how do we implement better strategies and that's by bringing all the teams together and looking at the outcome from day one rather than as an afterthought yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, hybrid work, I don't love hybrid work as a name. I think it's just work, right? You know, it's the way it is. You know, we're going to be in different places using video, hopefully more of the time in the office because we need those rich human experiences of people, I believe. We kind of over-rotated to working from home. But the intersection, hybrid work is really the intersection of people, place and technology. If you come at it from that lens with real estate, HR and IT, you will drive a greater outcome. Yeah. And I agree with you, by the way, we've gone from one extreme to the other from a work perspective, can work from anywhere. And we've all proven that. But in people meetings and 
speaking to colleagues in real time and being able to do whiteboard sessions when you're in the office and, oh, guys, I've got an idea. What about this? It's much easier to do when you're in your office. Now, you don't need to be in five days a week, but the richness that experience brings, I personally believe, and people may shoot me down for this, I don't think remote work comes close to that when you all need to be together sometimes because the, the experience you get, you can have the technology in the office and you've got digital whiteboards, you've got sessions, you know, you can throw digital things on a screen and then you can scribble on a whiteboard together. That's a really powerful experience. And I don't think you could ever top that, right? In my personal opinion. I totally agree. And I was having lunch with Sir Stuart Lipton, who's the chairman of Lipton Rogers about six months ago. And, you know, he's one of the grandees of, you know, the property industry in the UK. And, you know, he's had an amazing career and he's just so insightful. And he said, Sam, did you know that, you know, 80% of romantic relationships are formed in the workplace? So it's a pretty, it's a pretty stark reality we face as a race, right? If we, you know, just kind of isolate ourselves in the metaverse in the future. So I, I'm long real estate and short hype cycle, right? A lot of this stuff, because I think people want to be together, you know, just, you know, any other, you know, part of the natural world, you know, we don't want to be isolated. We want to be together and we thrive and are more creative and innovative and, and happier when we are, even if we have a bad commute, you know, there's no journey to the office that has made my day worse versus being stuck at home. You know, I actually, you know, enjoy being in the office and being around colleagues, so, yeah. So part three, challenges and concerns of meeting ambitious sustainability goals. So this is a big one, but we've got three questions in this for you, Sam. We've touched on some of this, but what strategies can be implemented to accelerate the path to net zero in the hybrid workplace? Now, there are a lot. So I think if you can focus it down to one specific one that I think would be helpful, because otherwise you and I could talk about this one for about two or three hours and we'd put people to sleep. But if you could pick out one specific one, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, POE is going to be replatforming buildings to DC low voltage, right, is probably going to be the biggest trend over the next 10 years in the workplace. And why is that? It's firstly because it reduces that conversion loss from AC to DC, right? All these devices that we use, you know, the screen that I'm, you know, we're interacting on, you know, the laptop, the smartphone, you know, my everything that you plug in, right, is a DC device, right? But it, AC is the way you distribute power over long distances because it's the most efficient way to do that. But within a built environment, you know, constantly transferring AC to DC is inefficient. So... POE is a great way of delivering the connectivity, which is essentially the fourth utility in you know, today's world, and also power. And by converging that into a single cable, you're reducing a stack of copper materials costs. You know, we saved $250,000 in our New York office, which is just one floor of a you know, Manhattan building, right? just as a consequence of converging everything onto POE. That's a big saving, right? If you extrapolate that out to Cisco's global real estate, if that's one floor in one building, that's tens of millions across Cisco's global estate. Yeah, we've got 60 million square feet globally, right? And that, you know, that particular office is only 50,000 of those. <laughs> yeah. Million, right? Yeah, extrapolate so that out. There's some savings. 
Yeah. And look, you know, we're going to compress our real estate footprint. You know, that New York office is basically serving, you know, the place of six offices that we had previously because, you know, people will be more mobile, will be working remotely. You know, they're doing their head down work a lot at home, but coming in for that rich collaborative experience, you know, using our technology to, to enhance that. And so, yeah, I would say POE is the single biggest opportunity. And it's also one of the most contentious because the electrical unions, dare I say it, a little bit like black cabs, taxi drivers versus Uber. They don't love the fact that actually all of a sudden you and me can plug in an Ethernet cable into a device and move a luminaire or move a desk that's powered by POE and distributes that power into you know smartphones and charging laptops and all the rest of it. They don't love the fact that basically has reduced the bill of moving a desk from $5,000, you know, having to pull a permit, get an electrical engineer who's got an expensive day rate to like someone in facilities being able to move a desk on wheels and unplug and replug an Ethernet cable because it's safe. It's the way in which we can now distribute power more efficiently. I think that goes into the next question about moving towards sustainability goals and how do you address operational concerns? So that's literally the next question. I think that covers part of that, right, is if you think of everything in that chain that used to be there to move a desk, and now you can just literally unplug a power over Ethernet cable, as you said, move the desk, that's taking you on your journey to sustainability right there by reducing the people, the hours, the costs, the energy, and everything else. Yeah, and, you know, the partners that we've been working with to, to install POE in our offices. So the likes of Digital Building Solutions, DBS, who are a US organization, S are doing a great job leading the charge on this. Many others are jumping on this bandwagon, but they're saying it's taking them 20% less time to do the installation because they're able to pull 30 or so, uh, you know, ethernet cables through the ceiling to power the lighting. Whereas before you had to have, you know, high voltage cable that was, you know, connected to the ceiling in very secure way with like rigid steel conduit shielding it for fire safety regulations you don't need any of that now you just pull the cable out of out of drums pull it through the ceiling you know get the plasti ties to to make it all neat and tidy and the trays through the ceiling and off you go and if you need to move a desk you just you know unclip that particular cable move the desk and what's great is it gives you the agility as well because you've got you know a space that can have desks for say a finance team that may want to work in a sort of more traditional cube kind of head down environment. I don't necessarily advocate cubes for any team, but anyway, you know, they might want that kind of more traditional setup of desks. And then you might have a, I don't know, an engineering team that in that space the next week that want to work in a kind of agile scrum way where they've got the desks facing each other and they're like interacting and talking about, you know, how they're, you know, and whiteboarding at the same time whilst sort of being in a much more you know, they're still going to need a desk, right? But they want to work in a more sort of collaborative way rather than a more sort of head down, isolated way. So it just gives you that flexibility as well as, you know, enabling sustainability goals through that through lowering your power consumption. Yeah, it's interesting, the resistance in some parts, but I think, I don't think you can resist forever or else you're going to be left behind. So it's an interesting time. And it leads me on to my very last question. When you're talking to customers and your team's talking to customers and you're going in, to, to try and help people, what do you see as the challenges that come from businesses? You know, so we see it as metricus as well. Sometimes people are resistant to change because it's the unknown or they're worried about their jobs or their team's jobs. What resistance do you see and how do you allay those 
resistance fears maybe like what challenges are you seeing and how do you help with those well i think you know it the first point i guess is around you know ensuring that the sort of not invented here syndrome dissipates right and you know if you bring hr and it and real estate together you can often get them to recognize actually they've got a lot of common goals i think there's also a perception across large you know, numbers of different functions within businesses that, you know, IT is hard, complex and lets you down. Uh, you know, POE as an example is completely opposite, right? It's simple, it's easier, it's faster, it's cheaper, right? And it's one of those cases where, you know, actually it can result in a delightful experience, a better experience. And, you know, I think the other key thing that you absolutely have to get right is, you know, historically, there's been this like, let's focus on the best of breed in each particular nut or bolt or cog or spanner, right? And you end up with this kind of vendor buffet that becomes incredibly hard to integrate. And, you know, these individual procurement teams have gone off and procured these, you know, the cheapest desk or the, you know, you know, theoretically the most hyper efficient LED, but it's not DC, it's only AC. You know, and they haven't thought of it holistically. Thank you very much. I've got three quick fire questions, short, sharp questions and answers. So before we finish, if you will indulge me, what's the single biggest challenge for organizations reaching net zero in your mind? The reality is this retrofit of smart, sustainable technologies in the built environment, right? Recognizing that 40% of greenhouse emissions come from the built environment. Do you have a favorite example of innovation you've seen in the hybrid workplace industry? Ooh, I should really pick a third party one, shouldn't I? Um, the two really delightful use cases I can think of. One was when I was presenting at WorkTech in 22 Bishop's Gate at a smart buildings event about a year ago. And someone said, what was my favorite use case that's been enabled by the Converge network? And at that moment, the sun came out from behind the cloud and the solar actuators on that facade of the building communicated with the converged network and dropped the blinds automatically to reduce the greenhouse effect. And I'm like, well, there's my answer, right? You know, the blinds came down automatically and it's because of that convergence. That was a really, you know, delightful moment. And, you know, actually a similar example in Pen One, right? I walk into a room, I can walk into a room and say, okay, WebEx, tell the room to open the shades. And a voice assistant within our video technology is then communicating with the network, which is then communicating with a piece of operational technology to open those shades. And the Luddite would say, oh, why don't you just have a switch for the shades? But that implies that you can't automate it, right? And if a voice assistant is able to create that use case automatically, then so can a solar sensor, right? And, you know, the glare on a display or the contrast on a screen is a consequence of the sun shining in through the window. You know, being able to change the experience and the environmentals as a consequence of automation is just so impactful. And it, it's a great way of just wowing your colleagues and employees to show how, you know, intelligent the workplace is. And last but not least, which EMEA country that you work in is leading the way for sustainability? Which one are you seeing is actually doing the doing and has stopped just talking about it? 
Yeah, you know, this is a hard one. There's some great case studies out there. I think Switzerland has got a few brilliant case studies. So the Millennium Building, you know, we worked on that project in Lausanne. You know, that's a highly efficient building. It's a great poster child. And I think they're a very forward-thinking country from a sustainability perspective. I think in terms of kind of the broader adoption of converged networks, I think the UK is leading. But we're also seeing some great case studies in France, for example, you know, Vinci has just used a new approach to converge networks using, try not to kind of baffle everyone with nomenclature, but a new approach to converge networks called FTTACP. And that's just really a really efficient way of driving connectivity around a building and doing so in a sort of sustainable way, reducing the amount of cabling, etc. So, you know, there's some great case studies out there. I would have to say that given that converge networks is the foundation, I'd have to say that the UK is probably the leader there. The UK, moment. UK, Switzerland, not by far behind. And then France, France will probably have yeah. something to say about that, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, Sam. Thank you very much, buddy. I really appreciate the time. I will follow up with you after this to get a visit to one pen. I look forward to that. Terrific. Thank Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to The Measure Podcast. Before you go, we can see a lot of people are listening and enjoying the podcast, but aren't leaving us a review. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Please also leave us some comments. It helps us provide great guests and have great chats. No bullshit, no small talk, but valuable information to help people in their roles. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to The Measure now so you don't miss anything. Music.